Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of iHeartRadio. With over 7 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan. It is Thursday today, so that means it's our Fashion History Mystery Minisode, where we answer your deep burning questions about fashion history that keep you up all night long. (laughs) I'm I'm joking, of course. I don't I don't think I've ever actually been kept up at night by fashion history, but I certainly, Cass, have dreamed about it before. I mean, I've had multiple fashion history dreams, but one of my favorites <laughs> is that I dreamed that the early 20th century American fashion designer Adele Simpson um, was trying to kill me, and she was decked out in all black, quite swanier. <laughs> oh, no. She had on like a, a tailored black suit and black gloves. Um, she had on black sunglasses. Just saying. I can't say I've had any fashion history nightmares per se, but I certainly daydream about fashion history all the time. I mean, my most recent daydreams involve attending the Fête Galant at Versailles. Oh, yeah. Which, if our listeners are not aware, is an annual fancy dress evening in the Hall of Mirrors at the Versailles Palace. And everybody dresses up in 18th century. Oh, yeah. It's a ticketed event, and it's basically an open invitation for you to fulfill all your 18th century Marie Antoinette fantasies. So, you know. Daydream away, I will, until it becomes a reality. And if any of our listeners have attended this fall, we'd love to hear about it because dreams do come true. Yeah, and, and I guess I I frequently dream about stumbling across an estate sale that's like chock full of incredible vintage couture pieces, Ooh. and the and the seller just wants to get rid of it for dirt cheap. <laughs> and this is actually a recurring dream of mine. I've had it multiple times, and it makes me so happy every time I wake up. <laughs> And I'm actually really glad you used the word vintage there, April, because that brings up today's listener question. Sabrina Pross recently wrote to us to say, I wanted to say that I really enjoy your podcast. I find the both of you so bright and endearing. Thank you, Sabrina. And she says, thank you for sharing the history of fashion. It's so interesting. Could the topic of vintage be covered? I've seen lots of pieces online that say they're vintage, but they are dated as early 2000 or before 2000. I am a bit confused about what constitutes vintage clothing. Would fashion affect the classification of vintage? Thanks so much for your show. I love both of you so much. Thank you, Sabrina. We love you too. Yeah, and thank you for writing to us. Um, And I have to say, I think you are not the only one scratching your head on this question. And I have a funny story from about 10 years ago or so when I was finishing up my last semester of grad school. I happened to be in the library and I was printing out a paper that was due. And I overheard a student. She was very, she looked very young. I'm guessing she was maybe a freshman, like 18 or 19. And she was asking one of the reference librarians where to find books on quote unquote vintage fashion. And the librarian was like, oh, okay, what kind of time period are are we talking about? And in my mind, Cass, she was going to say the 20s, the 40s, hell, I don't know, maybe even the 60s. But what do you think she said? (laughs) She said 
the 90s. Oh, God. And I about died. First of all, (laughs) because it made me feel really, really old because I was in high school in the 90s. And secondly, um, I'm talking the 2000s here when this actually happened. So that made the 90s only 10 years earlier. So like you, Sabrina, this really got me thinking about how do we define when a garment is deemed vintage and how does antique relate to what is vintage? And once again, we are learning so much right along with our listeners when you submit your fashion history mystery questions, because April and I were both actually pretty surprised to learn some things about the term antique. So it has a few meanings, of course, and in art historical sense, we might use antique to describe, say, a decorative style that belongs to an ancient civilization like ancient Greece or Rome, but that's really not what we are getting at here today. No, we're going to use it in a more literal and perhaps more common sense of the word, as in an object or a chair or a vase that might be a family heirloom or something you might purchase in an antique shop. And so, Sabrina, what Cass and I were surprised to learn this week is that what is and what is not an antique is a matter of federal regulation, not only in the United States, but also in many other countries all around the globe. Yeah, and this all has to do with import taxes. So according to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Statutes, quote, an antique must be over 100 years of age at the time of importation. So why, you may ask? Well, the answer is because antiques classified under heading 9706 in the Harmony Tariff Schedule... Yeah, And apparently, I had to look this up, this schedule provides the applicable tariff rates and statistical categories for all merchandise imported into the U.S. So antiques classified under this heading are duty-free, provided the importer has proof of the goods age, i.e. the year of manufacture. So meaning that if you're importing certain types of objects, which are 100 plus years old, you do not have to pay import taxes on them. And in terms of the period when an object qualifies as antique, this is about as cut and dry as you can get, right? It says it right there in the law. Vintage, however, is an entirely different story. So technically speaking, the word vintage means, quote, a period of origin or manufacture. So this would be why a wine, for instance, would be designated as a 2005 vintage um, because the, the overwhelming majority of the grapes they were harvested in 2005. There are also non-vintage wines, but this is not a podcast about wine, Cassidy. <laughs> I'm sure there is one out there. <laughs> Many, I'm sure. <laughs> so what you're saying, April, is that the term vintage pinpoints the exact time something was made. So it's not actually a measurement of time when something crosses a threshold and becomes vintage. Yes, and this also means that everything is technically vintage. <laughs> We know a lot of you who listen to the show so. So, for instance, if you happen to finish a nice little skirt for yourself yesterday, this now means that it's already vintage and that it's vintage 2019. <laughs> I love so, that. I think this is where so much of this confusion comes from. We've all been using this word vintage in the context of clothing in a way that the word was never actually intended to be used. And I myself am, of course, guilty of this. Oh, me too. And I don't actually think any of us need to beat ourselves up about this because there is a need to define this enormous segment of clothing, which exists in the world that is no longer new, and yet it's not antique. So one could, of course, say used or secondhand, but 
Really, these terms fell out of favor in the late 60s and early 70s when wearing previously owned clothing was becoming increasingly hip. So this is really the moment that the term vintage started being used as a way to destigmatize the wearing of used clothes. Let's class it up a bit, if you will. Mm-hmm. And vintage has become this common parlance to refer to this category of clothing for about 50 years or so. So it's really ingrained into our culture. And one of the things I did when I was thinking about this is I skulked about on the internet a bit. And there are a surprising number of articles that have been written, um, not only online, but also in mainstream print publications about this question. When does something become vintage? And Cass, the gist of what I walked away with um, when I read all of these was that most of the authors simply kind of shrug their shoulders to the effect of no one really knows. So let's all just agree for the sake of argument that something (laughs) becomes vintage after 20 years, but no sooner than that. Right. And this is a definition, for instance, that you see used by places like Etsy. And I mean, really, there you have it. Sometimes as researchers, your path of inquiry ends up not really having a crystal clear conclusion. Sometimes the answer is murky and that lack of clarity is the discussion in its own right. I mean, maybe we need to invent a new word, right? And define our own terms in lieu of using the word vintage. I don't know. It's just a thought. <laughs> we can ponder on that a bit and get back to everyone, right? Yeah. Uh, let's do that. And address listeners, of course, if you have any opinions of your own, let us know. Um I mean, the one point of clarity I think we can leave everyone with today is something we have, of course, addressed, pun intended, on dress repeatedly. (laughs) All fashion is dress, but not all dress is fashion. All antiques are vintage, but not all vintage is antique. What about any fashion history news of the week, April? Well, I, I do have something, and this is not about fashions of the past, but perhaps about fashions of the future. Have you seen these new Louis Vuitton monogram bags that glow? I mean, holy moly. Oh yeah, they're really, really cool. And they also have, of course, glow-in-the-dark shoes and cell phone cases, apparently. Mm-hmm. And Louis Vuitton recently named Virgil Abloh as its new menswear director. And back in January, he sent down the runway the company's keep all bag in black. Okay, no big deal, right? But wait, the signature LV monograms glow thanks in part to what is reportedly fiber optic technology inside the bag, which also means that they don't just glow, but the color patterns can circulate like a rainbow around the bag, like the colors move. So hello, friends, the future is here. Oh, yeah. And this instantly made me think, actually, of Zach Posen's incredible fairy tale princess gown. Do you remember that? That he oh, made yeah. for Claire Danes mm-hmm. for the 2016 Met Gala that similarly used fiber optic technology to have this beautiful Cinderella gown that glowed in the dark. It was sensational. So you should, of course, Google both of these things immediately. And if you'd like to learn more about the history of Louis Vuitton, we've actually already done an episode which featured some of the company's storied history. So you can check out one of our earliest episodes, Branded, A History of Designer Logos, to learn more about one of the most recognized designer logos on the planet. Yeah. And I think maybe we have a couple of thank yous to do. Yes. Absolutely. Why don't you start? Okay, cool. So I would like to say a big, huge thank you to Burke Gold, who is the designer who runs the fashion brand Alma, A-L-M-A, who sent Cass and I both two of the most adorable 
taco bags that the brand does, and they're made of palm um, using traditional techniques um, in Mexico. And um, Alma is a fashion brand um, that operates out of Mexico, and they also do really incredibly beautiful sterling silver. So thank you so much, Burke. Love, 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 love. Yes, thank you very, very much. I love my bag as well. And also a huge thank you to Lauren and Abby from American Duchess. They sent April and I both copies. We promised this earlier. We did an episode with them earlier this year. And we promised that as soon as their book came out, we would let you know. So the American Duchess Guide to 18th Century Beauty is available for purchase now. It's um, under $20. You can get it on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. It is such a beautiful, fun book, right, April? Yeah, and if you want to know how they did the hairstyles in the 18th century, the book actually takes you through it step by step, and including recipes for making the products necessary to do so. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. Get your hands on a copy of it now. And of course, you can also check out the American Duchess Guide to 18th Century Dressmaking as the companion to this wonderful new publication. So thank you, everybody. We are so grateful for you, all of our listeners, and um, just for this experience, really. We love you all. Yep. That does it for us this week. May you consider the vintage of clothing living in your closet next time you get dressed. Please tune in to our full-length episode this coming Tuesday. And if you'd like to submit a question for our future Fashion History Mystery mini-sode, you can email us at dressed at iheartmedia.com or you can direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. And as always, a special thank you to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each and every week. Catch you Tuesday. Dress the History of Fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to your favorite shows. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.